Hey, welcome to another edition of our Coaching You podcast with the coach, Brendan Sir, and today, one of my favorite human beings associated with the NBA, uh, basketball extraordinaire, Tony Ronzoni, who is the head of player personnel with the Mavs. Uh, Tony is was a terrific player, uh, coach. He's been all over the world, and when, I, when you hear the people that he's been responsible for for bringing to the NBA, it's off the charts. But he's one of those people that every summer when we do our uh, leadership program with the Players Association, he's always there because he is the essence of understanding how to scout and evaluate players worldwide. And this is a worldwide global game. I don't care if you're in high school. There's more players now I see internationally in high school, of course, in college and the NBA It's 25% international players. So you'll find it fascinating. You'll find Tony Ronzoni is a character and a half, but a better person. My guest today is Tony Ronzoni, in my opinion, the best player evaluator and scout in the NBA, but more importantly, was a hell of a player and a terrific coach and stuff. Welcome, Tone. How are you, buddy? I'm doing great. I'm, I'm happy to be on your show, Brennan. It's, it's exciting, and it's great to see you this summer in Las Vegas also. You know, uh, one of the things that I love about you, uh, among uh, many things, is, uh, uh, is your passion, not just for the game, but your passion for players, and not just the players that play for the Mavs, who you work with, uh, is players everywhere and trying to help them. Where'd that come from? I think, you know, I, my mom raised me by herself, and I kind of, my high school coach kind of was my father figure. Uh, my dad was, you know, in and out of my life, but he was around all the time, of course, and I kind of just grasped on to my coaches. Either it was a baseball coach or a soccer coach, and my basketball coach, Mike Phelps, uh, coached at Bishop O'Dowd High School in Oakland, kind of became, you know, my mentor, and, and as soon as I started playing for him I knew right away that I want to get into coaching and um, I was able to work on my master's and coach in my high school and spend a lot of time there and our high school team of course was well known at O'Dowd in fact my backup point guard at the time was Brian Shaw we we had a lot about seven division one players going in my senior year wow. so I had a lot of passion and, and being around the game and being around him just kind of gave me that feel of enjoying the game and and I took it as a it was exciting when I when I went to class. I knew that I had to, to do well in the classroom to 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 get do well on the floor. It's kind of like on and off the floor. I got to do the same. So that kind of took me to my passion to get into coaching and to just respect the game and respect players. And I really enjoy being around people who have energy like you and who keep pre preaching the game around the world and I just kind of enjoy being around players and I love seeing guys have fun and uh, there's two words I always tell my twin boys every time I text them before they go to class or before they go to the game I always end every conversation with have fun mm -hmm. and I think if people do more of that I think their life will be a lot more enjoyable well you have fun every single day because you do what you love uh where did your where did your love for the international game come from you know, it's interesting. I started uh, when I played at Nevada for Sonny Allen for a couple of years, and then I ended up transferring and playing at Long Beach State. And it's kind of interesting. When I was at Long Beach, my first year I was with Ed Radliff and Glenn McDonald, both former NBA players. And 
we kind of start getting the conversation about, you know, is there any international players that are any good coming overseas at the time? Really no one was coming in in the eighties. It was very, there's a couple at most. Uh, and so then my senior year of all, of all places, Long Beach state, all of a sudden I got a crew of coaches coming in. I had Joe Harrington, uh, who spent many years coaching in division division one. I had Seth Greenberg. Mm-hmm. Um, I had Butch Carter was on that staff. I had uh, Derek Wittenberg. I had basically five head coaches on my staff. How about that? I'm going in my senior year, uh, which people probably didn't know or, or know about when I was at Long Beach State, how many were on that staff. Um, so I kind of, during that time, I, there was a lot of international coaches would come and visit, and I would, after practice, most players would just go back to the dorm, and, and I would end up sitting there talking to these coaches and, I ended up befriending a coach from New Zealand who actually offered me after my senior year to go play in New Zealand. And when I, I was there in 1988 or 87, and then the following year I was going back to play in New Zealand and the coach got sick. So the owner of the team asked me to be a player coach. Now, Brendan, I was 22 years old. How so, bad. And, and it was during the summertime. So I was able to work on my masters in the winter coach with my high school coach at O'Dowd go back and play in the summer New Zealand and was a head coach of 22 years old. And at the time when I was in New Zealand, it was pretty interesting because at the time, Jamie Dixon was playing in Hawks Bay. Um, Brett, um, um, I'm going blank to coach my, my good friend, a coach in Philadelphia, Sixers, yeah. was coaching. Brett Brown. Yeah, he was. Brett Brown was coaching also in New Zealand. John Welch, who's, who's been a coach in the NBA for years, was playing in a city up in Auckland. Richie McKay, who's a coach at Liberty, was also playing at this time. So, and in fact, the guy from New York, one of the famous players, Lloyd Daniels, had nowhere to go. Ended up playing in New Zealand. We were all that group. All of us were in New Zealand at the same time. That's which is a great story. And from there, I went to Australia. I played there, and then I went to Italy and tried out for a Varese team. I got cut, and kind of just was intrigued with the whole environment of playing overseas. And then when I went back to the states, I got my masters and. uh I ended up getting a job with Arizona State as an assistant coach with Bill Frieder at the time when he left Michigan during that whole fiasco, and they, they, they let him go, and Steve Fisher ended up winning the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. I got to be on a staff with George McCorn, Lynn Archibald, and Bill Frieder. And as a 25, 26-year-old, 26 26-year-old for two years being Arizona State, it was pretty amazing being with three head coaches. And at the time, as a third assistant, you, as you know, Brandon, you were allowed to go out and scout teams on the road. So I'd fly into Kansas. We played Tennessee. I'd scout everybody and was getting into it and started realizing that being overseas in Australia, especially, I realized that there's a lot of good players from around the world that can play in college. So my second year Arizona, Arizona State, I, con- I told Bill Frieder, I said, look, we can get this guy named Tony Ronaldson who wants to come to the States. Um, Brian Gorge is a good friend of mine. I said the Arizona UCLA starting to talk to him. I said, I can get him here. I got a great relationship, Brian. We ended up getting Tony Ronaldson to Arizona State my second year. I was 26 years old to play first at Arizona State. We ended up going to the tournament that year because of Tony Ronaldson, who could shoot the three. He was the original trail four man, similar to like Mehmet Kerr playing. And he ended up going back to Australia and playing 25 years in the, in the NBL league over there and having success. So fast forward. I'm sitting in my room uh, after the game. We're talking as coaches, and, and um, I get this. Somebody comes into our coach house and said, hey, somebody wants to meet you from Saudi Arabia. So <laughs> I, uh, I go out and meet this guy. His 
daughter was at school. I didn't realize it was Prince Abdullah, who's one of the top officials of Saudi Arabia, not right now as we speak. So he invited me to his uh, hotel at the Ritz-Carlton that night. Great story. So he uh, offered me to coach a national team and start with the junior national team of Saudi Arabia. I was only 27. I'm thinking to myself, I'm not doing this because the war was just getting over. It was, right. you know, there. I remember CNN watching Bernard Shaw on TV, the whole thing. <laughs> and I'm like, my family is not going to like this. Mm-mm. So as I'm sitting there, Brendan, the guy says, well, I'll offer you this amount. And I literally hesitate for a minute and he's doubled the price. And I'm like, well, if I keep hesitating, maybe this number will go up. <laughs> you know, and at the time as a third assistant, I think I was making 25,000 in Arizona state. So, sure. um, I, uh, ended up on a whim heading over to Saudi Arabia and coaching the junior national team. I was supposed to coach a senior and then they missed out on tournaments. Long story short, I played, I was over there for a year. It was an interesting uh, life. I could go on forever on your show about it. And I ended up going to Dubai for a tournament, got offered like six jobs in Dubai to coach in the Emirates. Um, I decided to do that. Now, during this time when I'm coaching, I'm traveling all around the world, you know, in these tournaments. So if I'm in Dubai, maybe I'm in Asia, I'm somewhere else. And, and I started running, and then I ran into a seven-footer named Wong Juju. Mm-hmm. And literally during this time, I was also working for FIBA, as a, they called it a FIBA expert. That's what they called you. But basically, you're just a, a clinician. <laughs> There's no expert to it. But I was a clinician. So they would send me to all, they wouldn't send me to Spain. They wouldn't send me to Italy. They wouldn't send me to France. But they would send me to like Nigeria. Uh, they would send me to Yemen, Pakistan. But I, for me, I was a hungry young guy in coaching. I did whatever it takes to meet people and get more knowledgeable about the game and learn different philosophies of how to teach the game because I was a full-time coach. So then I ended up, uh, of all places, I went to North Korea. And that's a lo- another story in itself. I ended up going, getting in North Korea to what, see this kid, seven foot nine kid who changed his name to Michael Rye. Now, before I went in there, uh, Donnie Nelson and I met in 1993 at the World Games, no, sorry, the Commonwealth Games that were held in St. Petersburg, Russia, that George Ravling coached that team. And they had on it Michael Finley, Damon Stoudemire. And then Tori Messini was coaching the Thailand team, who actually beat our USA team. And during that time, I kept thinking, Brendan, there is a lot of quality players that are overseas that can play one in college for sure. That's all I was thinking. Then I'm thinking these guys can play in the NBA. So Donnie, during that time, said, hey, you got to get in the NBA. You know, and this is the time when he's bringing Marcelonis over. And he says, you know, this is the direction of the NBA and college and every and, and you have a foot at the door all around the world because you've been everywhere. So I go back to Chicago on a whim. I stay on one of these agents' couches. And I, and I went there, Brandon, not thinking to get a job. I went there like, I'm going. If I get it, if I get an NBA grade, if not, I'm going back overseas because I have a job. I have offers to go to Belgium and coach now. I started, you know, getting all these offers to coach all around the world. So uh, Donnie says, hey, can you come to my room at 11 tonight after the workout? I'm like, yeah. So I'm, as I think it was at the Hyatt. You remember those sure. days? Sure. So Hyatt on Wacker. Yes, I love it. Yeah. The Hyatt on yeah, Wacker. You remember yeah. all that? So I go up to Donnie's room. He calls his dad, Nelly, in, uh, the all-time winning his coach. And, and Nelly comes in and says, uh, do you want a Bud Light? And I said, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm not trying to impress anybody. Ask me a Bud Light. I will live overseas. Everyone drinks, you know, they drink beer. So Nelly gives me a Bud Light. I uh, sit there and drink the Bud Light with him. He looks at Donnie and goes, I like this guy. He says, you want to hire him? Donnie goes, yeah. He goes, hire him. And he walks out of the room. And the next <laughs> thing I know, I'm hired in the NBA. And during that time, Donnie also was intrigued me going to North Korea. So what we did is we were trying to find a way, 
Donnie and I now were maneuvering with uh, Ross Perot Jr. on the team, wow. who's also was involved with all the stuff getting the people out of Iran. Okay. So he had a guy named Bob McKillop who was teaching me how to negotiate with the North Koreans, which I'm a basketball guy, Brendan. That's not my gig. And I ended up going to North Korea, um, seeing Michael Ryan in my clinic. He only came one day, left. Long story short, I went there, tried to negotiate to get him to the NBA. It didn't work out. But um, the second thing, I'll end the story real quick because I can go on forever, is that Donnie said to me, he goes, do you know any Chinese players that you feel could play in the NBA? I said, yeah, I actually played in the tournament last year with a seven-footer who's very skilled, and I think he can be a second-round pick for sure and make a roster. So Donnie flew with me over to China, and when we saw Wang Juju work out, he looked at me and goes, you're, you're dead on. You, you, you know what it takes. And kind of that moved our relationship forward, and we ended up drafting Wang Juju in the second round. He ended up playing about, what, seven, ten years in the NBA. And sure. Just, so uh, anyway, that's how it all transpired. And, and because we drafted Wang, I ended up, being offered the first American ever to coach a Chinese Olympic team uh, yes. with Wang Fei back in 2000. And we had, of course, Yao Ming. That's another story in itself. Donnie and I were running a clinic in Shanghai. We ran into this 7'4 kid who was 15 years old in Shanghai um, at a three-on-three tournament. So, again, you, I can go on forever. Ask me uh, questions. Uh, I'm just talking away. Uh, uh, sorry. Well, okay. well, no, you hit on some great stuff. And I've been to China 12, 14 times. Uh when Yao was 16 is when I met him. But uh, but when my first time over, uh, you know, Bruce O'Neill, uh, who's, you know, very famous, has been there 140 yep. times uh, to China. Yep. <laughs> so Bruce and I are there, and I'm doing some clinics. And the next thing you know, Bruce says, we need to go. They want to show us this new facility up in, not Shenzhen, the beautiful place towards Hong Kong, but the other way going towards North Korea. So we go up to this place, and uh, supposedly the Shanghai Sharks are building an academy up there. And it's like mid-November, just a week before Thanksgiving, and we go up there, and all of a sudden it's like 40 degrees in Beijing. We go up there, it's like 12 degrees, and we get a blizzard the next day. So we're 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 up there, and when we get there now, the time change and everything. So we go out to dinner and there's, and I'm going to lead you into this. So there's like 15 people at dinner. Me and Bruce are the only Americans and they have a lazy Susan as they always do around the table. And they have yep. all these things on it. And every time they spin that sucker around, there ain't not one thing I'm going to eat on there. Right. And so I'm being, yep. I'm being kind of the asshole American where I'm not going to touch anything. <laughs> right. And Bruce is like looking at me and he's saying, Finally, he leans over and he says, you better eat something real quick or we're in trouble. And so he makes me eat something and stuff. And and it's not bad. It's pretty darn good. No. And it's pretty good. So he, he goes, you happy now? And I said, yeah, that's good. And he leans over. He said, you just had a bite of dog. And, <laughs> and, you know, and so that's now I'm going to lead you into tell me your best food story for China. Best food story. So. The dog one I couldn't do. I'll, I'll give you two of them. One was I got Wong Fei was a national, just got appointed national coach. He's a famous player over there with the Red Army team. Know him well. Rock. Know him well. Yes. Yes, you know him well. Correct. Great coach. One of the, actually one of the best coaches ever. Yep. That has a feel, and and because most of them struggle with the feel of the game, but he uh, came flew into G Land at the time. So I actually ended up coaching the G Land Tigers for about four months when I was with the Mavericks, and that was back in the day when. They didn't have a lot of NBA rules. You could do that stuff, but now <laughs> you can't do that. So 
um, I was, when I was coaching that, that team, it was only three months. He came up, met with me and he wanted to reward me with, you know, being offered the, the position. It was a great honor. The first ever American and to coach Olympic team with him. And so he offered me to go, he said, well, we're going to celebrate with everyone. Well, it was the first time I've ever denied it because he said, we're going to, I'm going to have to ask you and it's okay if you deny it, which was respectful. And I, he said, we're going to have dog. And I just, I have dogs. I just said, coach, I can't do it. I'll eat anything else. So that was one. I, but everything else, like you said, when you sit at the table, it's out of respect. You got to do it. Even if it's a little, they like you more. So then Donnie and I were over there in, in Shanghai with the whole Wang Juju, Yao Ming, the whole Nike, everybody. And we're sitting around a table and there was probably about 15 of us, Lazy Susan. It was turning, we're eating. Um, stuff, pots were boiling. They're throwing stuff in there. I have no idea, but you're just eating. And next thing I know, they come out with all these uh, snakes. And they had a king snake that was oh, 12 foot long, thick as anything. And they asked Donnie to pick the snake he wanted, and Donnie picked the biggest one. <laughs> and they 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 go in the kitchen, they prepare it, they bring it, and we ate it. And it was a, actually liked it. It was pretty good. It's it's skinny, a lot of bones, but it you know again everything tastes like chicken. It was tastes like chicken. We ate it, and next thing I know, they bring this uh, uh, half cup full that you could see through it of red blood and i didn't know what it was all i know is donnie looked at me and pointed to me (laughs) tony tony's ready and i don't know what it was about but basically it was you had to to for long life for everything that's involved you know you had to drink as friendship lifelong partners you had to drink this red blood when they offer to you and so i did it it was uh not my exciting time, but I ate the red blood snake for future relationships in China from now until the future. So I'm in good like you, Brendan, yeah. in China. We're well, good to go. Uh, all right. So <laughs> the the best player that you ever eh, – let's say you drafted so many great international players. Who's the best you ever drafted, do you think, or part of? You know, we, ne- we never drafted yeah. a player, our organization. Yeah. 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 Um, Luka Doncic. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and now, now I can go to a second one. I would say um, um, getting Mehmet Okur uh, as a yeah. sleeper and kind of was – I actually did hide him. In fact, our organization did not know him. I could tell you a great story. We brought him in. I had him held out. He was with Mark Fleischer. I've been following him. He was with my good friend Tofa, Tofa that worked at Bursa Club with my good friend Yasmin Repeza, the coach, and he was an assistant. The other guy, Tofa, was assistant. Um, they kind of led me on him. So I went over to Bursa, which is a hard place to get to because you got to take a ferry over to the island in Turkey to watch them play. So I was able to watch him play and spend a few days and kind of kept him under wraps. And when I left Dallas to go, when Joe D brought me into Detroit, yep. I was there for only a week before the draft. So I'm looking on their board because I already was in Dallas. I already knew our board. And, and so I kind of told Donnie, I said, look, you still, we have the 55th pick in Dallas. You still want me to give you the kid there? And he goes, no, no, you, you're with Detroit now with Joe. You go and do what you got to do with thumbs, which was respectful of Donnie. Very much. So Very when much. I went, yeah. So when I went in there, I looked on their board the first two days. I didn't see anything. Finally, the third day, I called Mark Flash. I said, look, I, I can't have him hang on. We're, I said, I'm in a new team now. He said, well, look, I got four or five teams starting, you know, that I could call to get him in. He's in the States now. I said, look, no, no, you're not doing that. We're going to bring him into Detroit. I'll get it done today. Didn't know I was going to get it done, but I just had to tell Joe and John Hammond, <laughs> we got to get this done. So they, I said, look, guys, 
you got guys on the board at number eight, nine, and ten that I, I got a guy that we can get in the second round is better than all these guys in your top ten. And yeah. he looked at me like I was crazy. He goes, well, can you get him in? I said, yeah, get him in tomorrow. <laughs> so we just hired Rick Carlisle as our coach. He was there, Kevin O'Neill, all those guys, Tony Brown. So I told Joe, I said, you know what? Let me, because I'm still coaching. My mind is still coach. I still want to be on the floor. Right. You know, even though I've been trans- transitioning to this player personnel and front office assistant GM. That Donnie originally, when he, before I go to the story, Donnie originally, when, you know, when he got hired at Dallas, his dad was going to give him the reins to be the head coach, and Donnie right. was going to bring him in as assistant. So that was my route. And then things got, the team got sold, and Donnie kind of said, uh, I think we're going to go another way, you and I. That may have some more longevity, which it has. <laughs> but. <laughs> Yeah, as you know, Brandon. And so moving forward, we uh, I, I bring Mimmon in, and I tell Joe and, and our coaches, I said, look, uh, let me work the kid out. He knows me. I'm familiar with him. Let me. Let's just. Um, so I worked the kid out. He probably made, you know, 45 out of 53s. Not even trying. He had great post moves, slow feet, knew how to play, and and it was great. When we were done with the workout, I walked over to Joe and John, and then Rick comes up to all of us and he says, Hey, we think about taking this kid at nine. And I looked at Joe, looked at me, and I said, he goes, you're telling me to get this kid at 38. I said, done. I said, I had him at 55. We're going to get him at 38. So the draft's moving on, and we're getting calls from agents to take different guys. This and that. Joe just keeps looking at me like, you're serious. We're going to get this guy. I'm like, we're getting him. So we ended, I, I would say Mehmet's story is probably one of the best. That's you know, the Donchus one I've known for a long time. It's, he's an incredible player. But Mehmet was a second-round pick that ended up being an all-star. Did uh... – now Nowitzki, he was he he was already in Dallas, or did you? Were you yeah, I should have yeah. said. You know what? I wasn't. No, no, I was there in the draft and Dirk too. We, yeah, I was. That's I, what I thought. I'm, I'm thinking President Dirk's retired, so my mind's not thinking Dirk, and so is Mehmet. But yeah, Dirk was Dirk was number one, Brennan. Thank yeah. you so much, Dirk. Yeah. Would, Dirk would get all over me. For that he would one. get pissed off today. He had a yeah, yeah. Up. No, I was in Dallas. We drafted Dirk, so that was Donnie and I's kind of. You know, we 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 spent time in Warsburg and and. Um, you know, being in the NBA almost twenty something years, you know, you just, you just, there's so many stories. But yeah, Dirk was the best of all time, and Doncic is right behind him, and could end up being as good or better. You never know with the the rate he's going right now. There's rookie year. The the best, you know, when I was with uh, Fratello in Atlanta, we started picking just before Donnie did uh, out in Golden State. We started with the Russians because our owner was Ted Turner, and we had we owned the Goodwill Games. And so we 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 were so in with Russia. It was it was sad. I mean, it was amazing. So Sabonis, you know, Sasha Volkov, you know, we drafted, yep. and and I love those. And we actually uh, at the Olympics in Seoul signed Sasha and uh, Marcellonis, and uh, yeah, and, and the NBA said because he was an illegal pick. He was twenty three at the time. And uh, Stern wouldn't allow us to keep him. <laughs> it was a great. I, I, you know, Brennan, I know this story well because yeah. I talked to Donnie about that whole yeah. thing with Marcellonis. But he did tell me that Atlanta, he, his biggest fear was Atlanta because you guys were in there there before anybody. Yeah. And then he he came on because he was with a that um uh, uh what was the athletes in action AU team yes. the team that traveled around the world, and that's how he ran into Marcellonis. But he did tell me that he got lucky because. Uh, Atlanta had it in the bag to get that kid to, with your organization. So you guys were on that first. You yeah. knew that. Well, hey, we're going to take a quick timeout. We're going to come right back. Let's take a second to tell you about one of our partners, Dr. Dish. Dr. Dish basketball shooting machines are the most high-tech and durable basketball shooting machines on the market. 
Each shooting machine was designed specifically for high-repetition training to allow players to improve through technology. Dr. Jish offers game-like training to give hundreds of shooting reps in just minutes and provide powerful analytics to help players improve their game. Dr. Dish has also introduced Skill Builder, which is the first of its kind in the basketball shooting machine industry that enables players and coaches to stay connected, design and upload training exercises, and instantly receive feedback on their workout, allowing for real-time adjustments and improved performance. It is, without question, the most innovative basketball training machine on the market. To learn more about Dr. Dish, log on to drdishbasketball.com or follow them on Twitter at drdishbball. Don't forget to mention Coaching You and receive $300 off on your next Dr. Dish purchase. That's right. Mention Coaching You or the podcast and get $300 off your Dr. Dish. Back with Tony Ronzoni. Tony, uh, one of the things that I'm absolutely amazed by is, uh, you know, how you know the world of basketball is just gone crazy and every summer you and i when we visit um i've totally fallen in love with the country of australia uh to uh, since i got to go there four years ago and uh and you're very close to the people there and of course played in what would have been the nbl now right uh you know Correct. and uh but tell us about the nbl Tell us about what's happening, how they've really jumped ahead of the NBA in many ways of, or the NCAA they really jumped ahead of in a way, uh, with the young players. Well, first of all, their development programs at the youth is off the chart. Uh, their teaching model is, is, is amazing. Um, you know, I hate to say it, but they don't have the AAU format. There's also, you know, I want to give credit to the AAU coaches actually coach out there and do a good job. But they're not playing 100 games. They're not running around with no yeah. coaching. And the best players get to shoot all the time. And what happens is you get players that have some skill but never get to develop much because two or three guys dominate the ball in the AAU system. But in Australia, it's not like that. It's a pass-first mentality. It's, um, they're, they're, not, they're not about individual um, seeking attention. They're about playing as a team. They understand the team concept. You know, they make no excuses. They, they know what it takes to win. Uh, they're great communication, communication with the players. They look in the eye. They credit each other. Whenever you hear a player being interviewed from Australia, they're always crediting the organization. They credit their teammates, and it's become a habit. And it's not I with them. It's about we. And they've done an incredible job with their youth program, their, their Australian Institute of Sport AIS, which has started. They have also have another program. And now those are the main pro- programs that get all the best talent the Deladovas and Ben Simmons that all go there, Joe Ingles. But then they also have another uh, section throughout the country that, that has the same type of philosophy where they're developing their players. And then because of that, Brendan, there's over 250 Australians playing in the United States as we speak right now. 250 in Divisions 1, 2, and 3 NAIA. That's a, that's a high number for a country that only has 20, what, 7 million people. Correct, yeah. That's fabulous. And, yeah. they, and how many NBA players do they got? I don't even know right off the top of my head. I, I think it's almost 15. I, I almost thought it was 15. I might be wrong. I might be a little high. But I, I but we have some really good ones in there. And their national team, Olympic team, the Boomers, they're going to be terrific, I think. Oh, oh, they're going to be amazing. And, and you know, they're dedicated. They're loyal. They like playing for their, their country. They, re, they represent it. I remember uh, when I was at the USA Olympic team in 2012, we went, no, sorry, 2008, we ended up playing Australia with Chris Ansey, who played for the Mavericks before we drafted him. And we played him in a, in a two-game series in Shanghai with Russia. And 
they were close to beating us. And yeah. you could tell at that time they're coming on. You probably remember that game. Mm-hmm. We, we, had, we had a tough time beating them. And now our USA Olympic team had LeBron, Carmelo, D. Wade, Kobe Bryant, Jake Kidd, Chris Paul. It's not like we didn't have players. <laughs> Back with um, USA now. Um, so 92 with Chuck Daly, um, PJ, Coach K, and Lenny Wilkins, uh, when we first allowed the NBA players to play in the Olympics, I was lucky enough to be the scout. And so, because Chuck and I were working together. And, you know, they didn't, you know, FIBA, as you know, wanted this to happen. The NBA voted no when they had the thing about, you know, should we let the USA play? And the NBA vote, not the NBA, USA voted no because the NBA wanted no part of it. But, you know, FIBA wanted it to grow the game. How about that for vision, right? And and I remember because uh, Chuck and I were going from the Pistons to the Nets at that time, and our player was Petrovic. <clears throat> oh, and oh. so I go over and see this guy, and I call up Chuck, and we're there playing in the Tournament of Americas in Portland. And I said, Chuck, uh, this guy we got, Petrovic, you know, who we had played against a little bit in the league, you know, off the yeah. bench. I said, this guy's really good. <laughs> I said, I said, and he was the only player on the great Croatian team that wasn't scared, you know. Correct. And boy, I mean, he gave thirty to Michael and them, you know. But but you know, Kukoc at the time was young and he was scared, and those guys were out to get him. But but what a player! And my respect for uh, international ball went to an all time high when I when that happened, and and now to see what it's done, your reflections on what that has happened now by, you know, bringing the pros into the international game, what it's done for basketball worldwide? Well, what I think, well, number one, it does, it's eliminated the fear factor because before mm-hmm. international people could, couldn't touch NBA players, you know, they would barely see them. They'd only see them on TV once in a blue moon. There wasn't the, the TV coverage we have now. Our international, the international players did not get to play against our pro team pro players until they changed that rule. So now when they're going against these guys, the fear factor is gone and they feel like they can beat them and they feel they can compete with them. And now these international players see guys like Ginobili, Carlos Delfino, Pepe Sanchez, and all these great players coming to the NBA. So they all want to try it and do it and they feel that they can compete and play at a high level. And it's just getting better and better. And as you know, our NBA teams will go play preseason games in Europe and stuff and get beat, you know, and Mm -hmm. now I know we're all we play we bring in 18 players and we play a lot of guys and we're not in mid-season form like they are but it just shows you we're just not going over there and whipping them at 1580 anymore that stuff's not happening like we you know when coach daly in 1992 that, that was a different piece so these teams can compete and and, and and like when i was with the usa limp team 2008 2010 in the world in 2012 I mean, we had to prepare and play to beat those teams. And we and two, in 2008-12 against Spain, we had to make plays down the stretch. Otherwise, we'd get beat. And Marcus Sol ended up getting four fouls in, in, in London in 2012 in the first half against us. He doesn't go out. You know, we, we, it may be a different story. You know, our guys now, they step up to the plate. But end of the day, it's not an easy win. And you got to be prepared. And these teams are hungry. And they want they, they respect USA basketball, but they want to beat us. And we just got to show more respect to international teams and players. And, and as you know, you, you see these players. They're improving. They're getting better. And you respect them, and you know their game now. Did, uh, did you join USA Basketball after Coach K lost his only game in the 06 Worlds? 
Is that yep, 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 I did. Yep, that's so, how I did. So what so happened Jer- is Jer- I was there in Japan watching the games. Oh, wow. Um, and I was watching the games from the stands, working for the Pistons, and huh. I just had a feeling we're going to get beat. And one of the things, so in 2007, I, I was I came back to Phoenix at my house here, and Jerry Colangelo lives here. He got a hold of me and said, you'd like to meet with me. And I'm like, great. So I went down to his office. At, at, uh, he still had an office with the Suns, even though he sold the team. Went down there, met with them, and he just said, you know, what's your feelings in us getting beat in the culture of USA basketball around the world? And I said, well, you know, I travel all the time. And I said, you know, Mr. Colangelo, the reality is international teams feel that we don't respect them. Our players are very uh, self into themselves. They don't care about the USA on the front of the jersey. All they care about is a name on their back. I said that we don't respect their game. I said, the other thing is, is, is defensively, you'll like this, Brendan. And one of the things I said, I said, international teams from coaches I've talked to from Greece and Russia and Spain, they want us to chase the ball. So they wanted us to play above the three-point line. That's why you see a lot of international offices when they play against us, they would extend it to the, to the timeline, almost to half court, to make us go chase because we wanted to put so much pressure and speed the game up. In a 40-minute game, Brendan, there's 35 less possessions. So with that being said, our NBA players are used to being down by 15, 18. They can come back in a, in a long 48-minute game. In international basketball, it's 40 minutes. You're not coming back unless you're making threes. So I told them that we were chasing the ball. And you remember against Greece, we were chasing. They were swing, swing, rolling, and hitting uh, the big the um, uh, baby shack with scoring layups on us left and right. And then if we weren't, and then when we chased too much, they were swinging the ball without dribbling. Because in America, what do we do? We used to over dribble the ball. Over in Europe, what do they do? They pass. They, they, the ball moves quicker in passing than dribbling. And so they would get open threes. So I said the philosophy against international teams, they're better shooters than us until we get better shooters. And that's reality. And, and your guy started at Pekovic because everyone followed him in international basketball. They all understand you make threes, you can be successful. Because they have slower feet. So that's kind of one of the things we changed. We only we only played the, uh, the three-point line one foot above and played them there. And then we our philosophy was to give up twos instead of threes because we can score with them in a two-point game. And if we can keep threes to minimal amount, we have an advantage. So that's one of the things I talked about. And I kind of just threw it out there. Now, Brendan, understand, I didn't know what he was asking me or offering me. I was just telling him my thoughts. And he said, well, listen, Coach K and, and um, Mike D'Antoni and Nate McMillan are flying in tonight and we want to have a meeting with you and so he goes i want you to tell him exactly what you said now i've met coach k but i really didn't know him now he's one of my best friends because i was with him for eight years and and so he sat there and i looked at mr cladula he says i want you to tell him exactly what you told me you know and at the time brandon what do you tell coach k that defensively we we were chasing guys and we should play but you didn't have a guard to pick and roll that night you know against them well he knew already it wasn't like i wasn't telling him anything he didn't know but it was but i just went on the board and started uh coaching it up and uh and i started just explaining the the about and more importantly i think he was into my uh the philosophy of spain the philosophy of russia the greece the way they play the way their players think and that's my whole job with usa basketball is to educate kobe and lebron and all our players who Pepe Sanchez is from Argentina. That's right. You know, what, what, you know. I know he played in the NBA a little, but, you know, who is uh, Juan Carlos Navarro? Well, when, when Juan <laughs> Carlos Navarro plays on the international stage, he's the man. He, He'll get 25 and 30 on anybody. He's, Reggie, he's Reggie Miller, Michael Jordan over there. Yep, exactly. You got it, brother. 
So that was kind of my job, and I really enjoyed it. And Coach K, I was at every practice. He wanted me on the floor. Uh, we had a scout team. It was it was Wojciechowski at the one. It was Johnny Dawkins at the two. It was uh, uh, Chris Bolcha was with us, who was on ESPN. He, uh, uh, Coach K's son-in-law was at the three. And then we had Chris Collins at the four, and then I played the five. That was our scout team during our practice for those five years. Then Mike Hopkins came in, and he took Chris's spot, and that was our scout team. So I played the five. It was easier. I just had to guard Dwight Howard and whoever else was there. It was Carlos Boozer. (laughs) No, I love that. Hey, tell tell our listeners, and I think this is great, you know, because the key – you know, even when you're coaching a dream team, an international world championship Olympic team, you have to still connect and motivate these guys. You got to figure out how to get to LeBron, how to get to Kobe. <laughs> tell me how, tell our listeners how you got to Kobe to make him oh. understand about defense. And he's a That's great a defender. Great. He's a defender, like you said. He loves to play. He's got passion. He plays both ends of the floor. You know, when I started with the USA Olympic team, <clears throat> I was like, all right, how, how can I make myself extremely useful? I knew I'll, I'm going to give them, I'll educate them on players, teams, how they play. And coach wanted me to talk to them during practice and educate them who they're going to guard. And so then I, you know, with Kobe, he was a different wire. I've never seen anybody wired like him. And he would get up at five in the morning, work out, lift weights, go to our meetings, go to practice. And then later in the night, he would call Johnny Dawkins or any of us coaches and go shoot for another two or three hours. So he would spend three, five, six, seven hours some working on his body or his game. So I kept thinking, you know, at the time he was the best player in the world. And what I would do is I would make have my video guy break down players and give them underneath the door at night who were playing. I don't know how many guys watched it, but I would quiz them. Most of those guys started doing it, and I would try to put a scare factor into them, which is hard with great players. But I was trying to get to them any way I can. But I got to Kobe Bryant, and it's – and I was just thinking, how can I find a way to get to Kobe Bryant? So I'm thinking, we're playing Brazil in an exhibition game at Thomas and Mack in Vegas. And we got to start out with a defensive identity because if we don't guard and we're thinking all offense, we're going to get beat because these guys will shoot, make shots, and it'll be an even game. But if we defend, we're going to have an advantage of winning these games. And we got to set a gold standard. And that's kind of what our whole philosophy was. So that night, I'm thinking, how can I get to him? I called my video guy. I was at the win. I said, look, I got an idea. I said, you need to pull up every possession that Leandro Barbosa scored on Kobe Bryant in the last five years. So he came back to me about five hours later. He says, uh, coach, I got uh, 13 possessions. I said, perfect. So it wasn't a lot of possessions, <laughs> but we got 13. So I told him to put all 13 possessions in, and I want you to repeat each possession. So he's got to see that possession twice. So, it'd be, so it turned out to be 26 possessions. And so I said, put it underneath this door. Next morning, I'm there at the meeting around 9. The players come in at 10. I'm sitting in the front row next to Mike D'Antoni, Nate McMillan. Coach K's on the left. Jerry Clando's on the left. He comes up to me, slaps me in my head, and he goes, I got you. He said, you good. I like you. He said, you're all right. And I just kind of smiled because I knew what that means. I knew that he watched the tape. I knew I got to him. So now we're getting taking the bus over, and the coaches are all kind of looking at me like, and I said, I'll explain later. So we go over there. Coaches goes, they put on the board. I think Bayhan put on the board who was guarding who. And we didn't have, um, I think we had Kobe on Warches or somebody like that. Well, he wasn't guarding. I said, Coach, uh, we need to change that matchup. He said, no, no, this is good. I said, no, I'm just telling you, Kobe's going to want to guard Leandro. 
And then I explained to him what I did. And he said, well, I'm going to keep it on there and see what he says during our, uh, our uh, meeting before the game. So I'm got on the floor and he looks at me and he's got this fire in him, Brennan, that I've never <laughs> seen. I knew he was a winner from the get, but I've never seen this winning mentality that he has. And I call it a loose wire. I don't, a lot of people don't have his wire. He's got an extra wire on him. That's amazing. And so when I went, we went into our team meeting and everyone's in there. Kobe within the first three seconds put his hand up to coach. Uh, um, we need to change that. I got Leandro Barbosa. And coach said, okay. And I, coach looked at me and kind of smiled as we walked out. And I told him the story again. And we went on the floor. The game started. We get the tip. I think we scored. They come down. They bring the ball up floor. Leandro, they pass the ball Leandro. Kobe's up on him, full court, Brandon. Turns him, turns him, turns him. He's got the ball a little bit in front. Kobe knocks the ball away, dives on the floor, throws it up to throws it up ahead. We score. The whole Thomas and Matt go crazy. Our whole team goes crazy. Coaches go crazy. His mentality, the whole game he was like that, and everyone fed off his energy and enthusiasm and intelligence of knowing what it takes to win a game against quality players. So then we use that play from 2008 before we went to every game in the Olympics to 2010 with the Worlds with Derrick Rose and, and Westbrook and Kevin Durant. And we use it again in 2012. That play was the play we needed for any big games to make us to the semifinals or the gold medal game. As Coach K used that as the gold standard of how we're going to win the Olympics. So that was uh, something that I got lucky on, and it worked, and uh, ended up being a, a, a part of our gold standard moving forward. That's so powerful. We're going to take a break and come right back and finish up with Tony Ronzoni. Fast Model Sports is the world's most comprehensive versatile basketball coaching software to help power your preparation. Fast Model has developed the industry's best coaching software, including the number one play diagramming and playbook software, FastDraw. FastDraw bridges the gap between whiteboarding and the digital world with an incredibly easy-to-use interface that can be used on both your computer and iPad to providing maximum portability for your own personal play and drill database. It doesn't stop there. Along with FastPro, they have other great programs such as Fast Scout, which helps coaches create clean, professional scouting reports customized for your team. Fast Model is trusted and used by all NBA and WNBA teams, 85% of Division I college teams, and over 8,000 high school and new teams from over 75 countries around the world. In addition to a great product, they also provide basketball coaching resources through their blog and play bank, which features over 5,000 free plays and drills on their online coaching community. For access to these plays and more information, visit FastModelSports.com or follow them on Twitter at FastModel. So now, as you find Luka Doncic, and now you get Tell me about how now you got maybe the best one-two international combo with him and Porzingis. How much had you seen Porzingis pre-draft a few years ago? Uh, tons. Yeah. Um, at the time, Scott Roth used to be an assistant coach with our Mavericks, and you know Scott love, well love Scotty. Um, was coaching in Seville. So I knew that. So I went over there two or th- – I mean, look, I've been watching Chris Stops for a while, and in our – 
our guy Alvitas from Lithuania was watching him in the junior tournaments at 16. And we have a good friend of ours that's a Latvian, um, you know, head coach for years. So we've, we've been on touch with, we've been watching this kid for a while. And before his two years for his draft year and then a year his draft year, I went over there twice, three times to Seville and just watched practice, watched him. And, you know, look, you could tell this kid was so talented, skinny frame, but shoot the three ball, knew how to play, put the ball on the floor. You just saw something special. And, and we did everything in our power in Dallas to try to move up in the draft. We couldn't get any traction, but we, that's a player we really pursued and wanted. And we just saw something and having Scott there really helped us. Cause I got a good feel from Scott about mm-hmm. him on and off the floor. And I'll tell you what, he's a winner. He knows how to play. We're excited about him. He's got himself healthy right now. He's been working out Great. and it's going to be a pretty exciting year when you got a 20 year old and Doncic and a 23 year old and Christopher Zingas. So you got a one in five, and those are, as you know, those are the two hardest positions to find in an organization is to get two quality players at those spots. Uh, I've never seen a, a, a kid coming out of the great Euro League uh, at 18 so ready to play as Doncic is. And he's a man in that in the pro league over there, which doesn't happen, you know. No. I've never seen it. You know, look, we saw Dirk and Wurzburg Division II, sure. but the Euro League wasn't even – they didn't even have Euro League back then. They didn't have Euro Basket. They didn't have Euro Cup. They didn't have any of those Champions League, any of that stuff. ABA, you know, it was just regular. You play for your team and maybe travel and play some preseason games where you play in your conference in your own country. So Dirk came from Division Two. Was ended up being a great story. But Doncic at 14 was playing. You know, he's playing in Real Madrid professionally, and I've watched him since then playing in junior tournaments. And I've just never seen. I think you know maybe the only other guy. I mean, I think Dirk could have probably done it to some degree. I think he could definitely do it. I think Pekovic, I mean, not Pekovic, but um, Petrovic mm-hmm. could have done it. Uh-huh. But no one's ever done it like Doncic. And I still think those guys couldn't get to his level at Real Madrid, which was the top team in Europe, to play at this high level and to continue to win. And every time there was a big tournament or a game that he needed to win, he stepped to the plate and made plays. And, you know, for him to get MVP of the, of the Final Four and just, consistently win uh was pretty amazing so um i mean I, i've just never seen a player like him in international basketball in all the years even yao ming to his dominance and what he did oh, i agree not at the level of Doncic. no way no way not at all um so you have some real specific things when you go and scout of what you look for of what's important in a player can you share those with our listeners yeah, there's three things I look at. I look at the three things I categorize is, is, is one is foot skills and how he runs, his body balance when he rebounds, does he stay in balance when he comes down, uh, does he have good footwork on the on the post, does he have footwork on the perimeter, does he have footwork as a point guard to, to go to split pick and rolls. That stuff, footwork, I, I, I look at really hard. I think a lot of people just look at the overall game. They don't look at specifics. I try to look more specifics. Um so footwork, and then the other thing is hand skills. I'm big into hand skills. How big is his hands? I like big mitts. Can the guy, does he have a handle? Does he have a left? Does he have a right? Uh, does, can he create in traffic? Can he get, can he, what does he do under pressure? Uh, the hand skills, and then the most importantly is the passing, because international players and American players are getting a lot better now. The passing part for me is very important. Can he make a pass? Does he read it before it happens? You know, those are the stuff coaches can't teach. You know, mm-hmm. finding a player open, you can't teach that. They, they had a feel and a reaction to make that happen. So passing. And the last thing is mental skills, which to me is extremely important with this day and age is, you know, 
what type of person is he? Is he a good guy? Does he interact with his players on the floor? Does he interact with his coach and his assistant coaches when he comes out of the game? Does he go to the end of the bench? Does he have a care factor? Does he sit next to the coach? Does he cheer for the guy that just came in for him? That's just really important. After the game, does he acknowledge the other team? Does he have some type of enthusiasm in the game and pride and respect of his opponents and all that? And, you know, the mental thing is I want to find out from coaches. Is he on time? Does he have a care factor? And can you trust him as a player? I tell you what, uh, those those are three. You know, I've heard you talk about this often, and I, I think those are three of the things that are you talked about it before. Gold standards. Those are gold standards because that tells you the complete picture of a guy right there, Tony. I think it's incredible. Well, you know, I I can't thank you enough for sharing. As always, you're you're one of the you're one of the greats of the game, and you're one of the great people of the game. But more importantly, you're a great coach, great teacher. Uh, but you're a better person, and that's uh, that's the best I can do, brother. You're you're amazing, and I can't wait to see you the next time. Well, I appreciate it, Brandon. I got a great deal of respect of you and your career and everything, and I followed you, and I appreciate you having me on and always inviting me to your events in the summer. And anytime you need me, you call me, and 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 I appreciate your friendship and well, thank you. you know, thank you so much, and uh, enjoy the rest of your off season, and uh, especially when you're in Michigan. I will appreciate it. Thank you. Tony Ronzoni, incredible. I mean, Tony Ronzoni and I could talk about basketball, life, leadership, anything for hours. Okay, he is one of the most fascinating guys. And if you think he's good on a podcast or in a meeting room, you should see him in a bar and restaurant off the charts. Okay, and so, Tony, we really appreciate, and I know our listeners did. But let me tell you, what you will appreciate is learning. And and our, our coaching you videos that we just released are off the charts, okay? And I love the speakers we had. You're going to get 14 videos for $249. Please go and register. Sign up today, coachingyou.tv, coachingyou.tv. You can register right on the spot, and immediately we'll send you a link so that you can watch your streaming videos. You own them for life, and they're yours. You're building up a basketball library some of the best speakers. It takes me, I'm a little slower, one or two times to go through and catch every essence of every speaker. So I think you'll enjoy it. That's the beauty of it. That's one of the reasons that when our coaches come to our event, they get the videos afterwards, no matter how good a notes they take, they can focus on the speaker, watch, listen, but then they got those videos uh, when they come home. So I think you're really going to enjoy it. So coachingyou.tv $249 order yours today. Till next week, this is the coach, Brendan Sir.